Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I am so happy to introduce you to Derek Deke in Denmead, who is one of the co-founders and co-owners of Deke's Barbecue. Thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Well, thank you for having me. No problem. And I know that you're a staple. I've I've seen you. I've I've gone to the Roxborough location. I've seen your food truck. I've eaten out of both. Um, but I know that you have not just um, your new location in Germantown. You also have a new one that you're currently in. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your history on how you got into the business, and you know, talk, we'll we'll jump into what you offer too. Sure. So I'm currently standing in a uh, in our cloud kitchen uh, setup, which is our which is a new venture for us. Like I, I said, it's our one month anniversary basically today, and uh, we're down at West Philly, like the Mantua neighborhood, kind of between University City and the Zoo. And it's a uh, facility with 29 two to three hundred uh, square foot kitchen stalls and. Um, everything is via delivery app and kiosk order. And there's about 15 of us operating in here right now. And so we called this Deeks Barbecue Express and started with kind of a slightly different menu. Our barbecue staples are on it. Certainly our ribs and our barbecue wings and our pulled pork sandwiches and our barbecue cheesesteaks. But we launched some, some of the stuff that's been really popular on our food truck over the years since we've gotten, since we launched our food trucks and six years ago. So we do a really good burger and we do some homemade chicken nuggets and a fried fish platter. Uh, so we've added that to the menu here also. And uh, it's going good. So, you know, it's working some kinks out, but it's fun. <laughs> I'm sure it is. And I'm sure that Gene also has, you know, indulged in some of your cheesesteaks along with some of the other items that you have. Um, I know I certainly have, and and one of my favorite things that I get when I'm there is your brisket cheesesteak. Oh, thank you. Now, I get, you know, I'm not originally from Philadelphia. I'm 52 years old. I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, but I came out here in 1989 as a freshman in college, and I've spent most of my adult life in Philadelphia. So I get to a traditionalist. There's no such thing as a brisket cheesesteak. A cheesesteak is a cheesesteak. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, they would, it's barbecue beef on a roll with cheese sauce, but we called it a brisket cheesesteak and it works real good. So, so let, we let's, love clar- it. let's clarify this. Yes. To our traditionalists and I'm one of them. Yes. You're right. There's no such thing as a brisket cheesesteak, but I will tell you what, I will take that brisket cheesesteak seven days out of the week <laughs> over top of the vegan cheesesteak okay there are things that uh you know that's a little foul and then there's foul okay <laughs> I cheesesteak, get it. okay not for necessarily for you know the purest at heart right but it's not really a foul you know what 
they 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 go across the river and, and camp at a donkey's place, and they say, "Well, that's not a cheesesteak because it's served on a on, <laughs> on a, a round roll." Cheese. Right? Okay, right. let's stop. It's it's a cheesesteak. A brisket cheesesteak is a great cheesesteak, and yours is absolutely worth trying. If you're a cheesesteak purist and shaking your head, you have no idea what you're missing. Well, I appreciate that, Gene. Thanks. You know, we were about five years ago, right when we launched our food truck. So we've been in business since 2010. And we got our food truck in 2017 and added that to uh, our portfolio, if you will. And uh, we didn't start with the brisket cheesesteak in 2010. But, you know, I was, like I had said, I, I, here's beef. Here's a great Italian roll. And I made, you know, I make homemade cheese sauce from scratch every day for our mac and cheese, our shells and cheese. And so I put some on a Philly roll with some brisket and grilled onions and gave it to some, some staff. And they were like, you got to start selling this right now. So we did. And I want to also mention the fact that like you, you and your wife, you're self-taught uh, pit masters, correct? Uh, yes. Yes. I've, I never. So we've worked in the food industry every single job you could have, uh, me primarily in kitchens, but I, I spent plenty of time behind a bar and waiting tables also. Um, but, uh, we met in the event planning industry. Um, and so when I wasn't in a kitchen, I, in a professional kitchen, I was just always cooking, um, and was, you know, in and around food every day of my life for like for the last 25 years, um, or more. So yeah, barbecue food. I, I was in the Teach for America program after I graduated from college. This is 1993. And I was placed in rural Georgia where I taught seventh grade and coached varsity baseball. And I certainly saw my share of barbecue pork, Brunswick stew, cornbread. Uh, it's a different cornbread down there. It's not nearly as sweet. Um, collard greens, um, and it really, I, I was really, it's re when I was in my early 20s, starting in college is really when I started to think about, you know, a culinary future. Um, and that shaped a lot of what I do today, my two years in Georgia in the mid 90s. So self-taught. Yeah. So I just, you know, like it's at the end of the day, barbecue, it's very similar to braising. It's low and slow cooking. Uh, you're using tougher cuts of meat. Um, that you have to raise, you have to raise the internal temperature up to a sweet spot just below around 200 degrees, uh, where you would, you know, you would never ever do that with, uh, you know, strip steak or, uh, you know, beef tenderloin, et cetera. Um, you know, and once you learn, there's a bunch of different ways to do it, uh, whether it's over direct heat or indirect heat. Um, you just, yeah, trial and error. And then we, uh, we launched our product in the fall of 2010. I had helped a, uh, I found a gentleman in, in South Jersey down near like Malaga that was converting, uh, old home heating oil barrels into barbecue pits. And somebody had told me about them. My wife's from Margate. So it was kind of on the way. And I had heard about it. I had actually seen one like on one of the causeways going into like Margate and uh, kind of pried around and found out who was building them and met him. And we designed one together and I opened my first Deeks barbecue up in Roxborough in the fall of 2010 with that restored uh, home heating oil barrel. 
And we started running out of food within a few months. It wasn't nearly big enough to keep up. So <laughs> so you've uh, definitely expanded for sure. Um, yes. And I, and I know that... We could, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I know that I pass by in um, frequently in Germantown, that that area I pass by, Attic Brewing, and you're kind of situated yes. with them. So Yes, right next door. And um, yeah, so I, I mean, what goes better? And I'm sure Gene will agree with me on this one, but I don't know anything better than like beef, barbecue, and beer. There like, you go. What a great combo, right, Gene? Yeah. Well, we could throw in a little bourbon. It would be a really a great trifecta <laughs> that's, there. But, that's right. You know, to go with that. And they, they do actually, if, if you think about the science of it all and what they, what they are, you know, Beer can have such a wonderful richness with it that complements the barbecue. Uh, you know, you get a little bit of spiciness in a barbecue as well. I mean, from a, just a food science perspective, as you were talking about, about the, the science of barbecue and, you know, what you left out there is that, you know, taking a filet and a sirloin and throwing it on the grill, you know, we would never do that. But that's really fast food. You know, barbecue is love. It takes time. It takes care. Yeah, you know, I mean, throwing that filet or that strip steak on the grill, that's McDonald's. I mean, that's fast food, you know. It's just more I expensive. haven't seen a filet tip sandwich at McDonald's yet, but, but that would be, in, that would be interesting. Yeah, but, but it's, it's, it's much more expensive, but it really is fast food. It's, it's convenient. There's not a lot that's put into it, whereas barbecue is something that takes a lot of time, a lot of Absolutely. love. You have to... You know, take a look at that piece of meat. You have to break it down and say, well, you know, look at the cartilage here. Look at the, you know, connective tissue. We're going to take this low, slow. We're going to marinate it with this. We're going to give it some flavor this way. And, and that's what makes barbecue, I think, so special. And the same as goes with great beer making. As, as a person who is a barbecue person and a brewer, I get that. They go well together. Yeah. You know, they both require time, effort. They require nurturing. They require tasting through the process. And and bourbon, too, like you said. Yep. yep. I mean, the reason bourbon is, you know, they both have Southern yeah. traditions. They both have American traditions. And what's key to the science of bourbon and barbecue is the wood component, the sugars and the nitrates. That's what's making the moonshine brown in a barrel. And that's what's adding that flavor. It's that same component. It's adding that very distinct flavor, if it's done right, to to barbecue. Uh, that's what's giving you the bark on the outside. Uh, and Gene, you're spot, you're spot on about, about the time component. It takes us a minimum of two days to get brisket onto a plate. So we receive it. Uh, and we use a grass-fed product. It's not necessarily local, but it's a grass-fed uh, product. It's, it's very tender. We love it. Um, and once we receive it, we break it down and trim it, like you said. Then we season it and let it sit for at least 24 hours uh, seasoned. And then we barbecue it for 12 to 14 hours. So, you know, it t if I get brisket on Thursday, it's hard to get it to you on Friday. We can certainly get it to you on Saturday. So you constantly have to be anticipating and planning and managing your inventory and all of that. It's, and that's, that's, the hard, that's the hardest part once you start growing. And it really is, you know, 
truly a labor of love. You know, the sad thing is your brisket with all the work that goes into it is still half the selling price of a filet that is, you know, a much easier product. I mean, it's a butchering process. You're probably getting it already sliced into a six or eight ounce portion. You're throwing it on a grill and you have so much more love and work into your product. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Now, I, I, I love uh, I love having been in the catering and event planning uh, business for uh, for about 10 years. I love my sliced filet with Bernays. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but we've we've gone full on barbecue for sure. We you know we've spent most of the time talking about brisket. And I really appreciate it. But, you know, having lived in Georgia <laughs> for those couple of years, I started we started with all the meats. You know, we're not necessarily a barbecue region here in Philadelphia. There's certainly a rib tradition in Philadelphia. It's interesting. And Atlantic City, too. Um, but we, you know, because we're not necessarily a region, uh, I was like, OK, well, let's just kind of mimic the different regions. So our brisket, we try and slice pencil thick like Lockhart style Texas, um, Smitty's Market down there in Blacks, which I've been to a couple of times. Uh, we dry rub our uh, chicken kind of Memphis style. Mm. Uh, same with our, our baby back ribs. But we serve them lightly sauced. We do our spare rib St. Louis style where you cut. So a St. Louis style uh, spare rib, you cut the sternum plate off and it gives you more of a uh, kind of a symmetrical rectangle, uh, which cooks a little bit more evenly. And then you can use that cut off piece <clears throat> to make rib tips, which we do sometimes. Um, and uh, but then my. My go-to barbecue, what I really started with, the barbecue that I fell in love with was, oh, it's called it's called Lexington style, which is, or Piedmont style, which is the foothills of Western North Carolina. So you're talking about Lexington, North Carolina, Winston-Salem, Hickory. Um, if you were Andy Griffith fans, it's kind of that neck of the woods. Uh, literally like, you know, coming out of the Appalachian Mountains, into the Piedmont area of North Carolina. And they do a very distinct type of pork shoulder barbecue with a ketchup-based vinegar sauce. And I really started uh, our business um, back in 2010 with that style of barbecue on a Philly slider roll, on a Morabito slider roll, uh, an Italian roll bakery up in Norristown to make great little dinner rolls. And so I put that chopped pork down there. They don't, we call it pulled pork down there. It's chopped pork. So I put that style of pork on that Morbido's dinner roll with a little bit of my Lexington sauce or ketchup based vinegar sauce with some slaw down there. They do mostly red slaw. So it's not, doesn't have mayonnaise in it. Up here, they preferred my white slaw. You put slaw on it. I made my own pickles, put that on the slider and you got a pulled pork slider. And that is what built our business. Um, that sandwich. Uh, you know, what, 13 years ago. And now it's, you know, people, we don't sell as much pork as we used to, to be honest. So now we just put that pork on a sweet potato roll from, you had mentioned Attic Brewery, another neighbor of ours, a block away is Merzbacher's, a great bakery, Pete Merzbacher, two blocks away. He makes a fantastic sweet potato roll, you know, kind of, it's a play on, you know, the Dutch County, or I'm sorry, a Dutch style uh, Lancaster County, uh, potato roll and he makes one with sweet potatoes so we put 
our pulled pork on that sweet potato roll with the slaw and the pickle on the side. We encourage everybody to put it on the sandwich. (laughs) Well, that acid goes so well with that, you know, that, that little crunch that, you know, just what a great combination you're describing that here. My mouth is watering and I'm like, Oh, get in the car and drive now. And, you know, like, okay, you know, and do all this. It's it's a wonderful combination. And I love that style of barbecue. You know, you talk about flavors and obviously a great deal of research that you've put in. And, and when I say research, I don't mean sitting in a textbook. I mean, getting out and trying food. Yeah. I've been, I've been the, I've been in the paper room and at Lexington barbecue and it cooks in Lexington. So Lexington is, is the name of a little town. It's the name of one of the barbecue joints that does that style of barbecue, which they call Lexington style barbecue. So I've been in a couple pit rooms uh, the owner of uh, Lexington Barbecue is a guy named Monk. He went by the Monk. Uh, I, I showed, I drove down to to visit him, and uh, had made arrangements and got caught in heavy traffic trying to get down there like on Labor Day weekend on a Saturday, and they close at like nine. They're in the they're in the Bible Belt. They're not open on Sunday. I got there at like nine ten. It was empty. So I just showed up the next morning, knocked on the door, and he was in there. And on Sunday morning, you know, nine in the morning, and we had about twenty cups of coffee and talk barbecue for about three hours. Oh wow! So it was an incredible experience. Well. That is absolutely wonderful. And for anybody who wants to show up and and enjoy some of that experience that you were that you've gained over the years, where can they find you online and in person? So online, the easiest way is uh, deeksbarbecue.com. And you can reach me via email at info at deeks. Goes to uh, either uh, me or my wife Jackie. We haven't spent haven't spent nearly enough time talking. <laughs> I mean, there's no Deeks Barbecue unless there's my wife, Jackie. I mean, <laughs> she runs the ship. Uh, she, she, so uh, it reaches, that email reaches both of us and, uh, and we respond to them all. Um, you know, we do a catering business out of our food truck or just delivery, um, but we will staff it uh, on site uh, where we're both working, one of us or both of us are working. Uh, we're happy to schedule any kind of private dinner, bourbon tasting, anything you want to do. The best way to reach us is via that website, teasbarbecue.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you for having me. Thank great. you, my man. Take care. You got it. <laughs> All right. And we will be right back after this short break. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I'm very happy to introduce all of you to somebody who we have an exclusive with, Mardell West, who is the owner of Banging Grub in Liberty One in Philadelphia. Mardell, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be able to uh, you know, participate and uh, share the world a uh, little information about you know our business. Thank you for being able to share it. Um, and also with me is my co-host, Gene Blum. Hello, everyone. <laughs> So, 
He is our culinary uh, expertise expertise on this on this show. But um, let our listeners know, like, because obviously I tried to find more out uh, out about you, but I wasn't able to. So let our listeners know who you are and how you came about um, owning Banging Grub. I'm a, I'm a bit of a mystery man, right? Mis- you are. <laughs> but, well, I, I'll go a little bit in depth. Um, so originally I'm from Philadelphia. So I grew up um, in West Philly, uh, native of Philadelphia, uh, graduated from Roxborough High School. Um, I went to college in Maryland and I actually got my uh, my degree in business uh, marketing. Um, so that was like my, my undergrad experience. I also had a uh, you know, got some graduate studies in nonprofit and financial management. So initially I wanted to get into like the financial sector, Mm -hmm. Um, but my career navigated me actually to Washington, D.C. area where I I took a career um, as a public servant. So I got in public service and I worked um, I worked in government uh, in D.C. for, you know, almost 10 years. Right. So the thing about that is that was so far fetched from what I was accustomed to or used to, but it was a good experience. And I learned so much, especially like analytical. I learned, um, you know, how to, you know, coordinate with different parties. And when you think about it, I mean, that's all they're doing anyway. You bringing together people with different views and trying to, you know, work together to get the task done. So I, I, I pride myself in being a problem solver. Um, along that journey, I was living a double life. So <laughs> I also um, am a recording artist. So I was doing music. So um um, songwriter, rapper. I, I did a, you know, a few small tours. I even recorded the album, uh, and I moved from uh, the East Coast to Los Angeles for three years. So uh, during that period, you know, I like to travel, and I grew up in a household where, you know, my family are all, I would say, self-proclaimed chefs. Like they cook. You know, my dad used to watch the Food Network all the time, so I was always watching the Food Network, and we would go to like nice restaurants and try different foods. And I think that's one area where, like, you know, my dad always would say, you know, a lot of people. People cut calls on certain things, but, you know, you don't want to feed your body bad food. So he would always like, you know, go to high end restaurants or like eat nice places and we would eat pretty good. So I had a palate for different cuisines and through my travels, you know, I would try different things and experiment. And along that process, I started to cook and make these things because I'm like, you know, I've had this better somewhere or, uh, you know, I know I could make this better. And I started to experiment with cooking. And, you know, lo and behold, after, you know, several attempts at cooking, I said, you know what, I would definitely like to take a shot at opening up my own uh, restaurant. And lo and behold, that's how Ben Grub came about. I mean, that's it's a nice story. And also your history on, on being able to um, basically organize everything to its minute detail helps within the restaurant industry because in order to make things flow, obviously you have to be detail oriented. So I'm sure to a certain degree that helped. And also the financial aspect um, with with your pedigree, uh, you know, you, you have a history of, of knowing how to, to run a business and to how, how to run things in general. So how did that, um, how has that helped you moving forward, opening up, your 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 restaurant. One would think, right? <laughs> I would I would say there's the difference between theory and apply and things, right? Like application. <laughs> In theory, you know, I, I, yeah, I understand business and I, you know, I I know what it take. I you know, I had an entertainment business when I was doing my music, but this was a whole different like experience. And I would say it's a been a very a very good learning experience, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. And going in, you know, I did some research and I, you know, I realized that there 
people that were started with me weren't the ones that finished with me. <laughs> and a lot of it, you know, I thought it was something that I could kind of dic- uh, not dictate, but kind of delegate to other people and allow them to 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 kind of run it. But I realized that I actually had to get my hands dirty and be more hands on than I anticipated. So there was challenges with that in the beginning. Um, but, you know, over time, we got better, we got better. And, you know, we're still getting better. But, you know, I can see the growth from when we first started to now. And We've only been open about four and a half months, but, you know, the exposure that we're getting right now, we had a couple of influencers come and promote our business. Um, And, you know, we've hit over, you know, 200,000, almost a quarter million impressions on a few of our, um, you know, overall posts that we've been promoting in the last 60 days. So we're excited about the trajectory of where our business can go, but we just know that it is going to take time and we're, you know, we're working at getting better every day. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that Jean can attest to this a lot more um, with with mu- much more history uh, of, of being in a kitchen than than I have, because I've never been in a commercial ki- kitchen other than filming or photographing or, you know, interviewing somebody. But I know that anything can happen um, at any given time. You never know sometimes if somebody is going to call up and or come come in and order some something where you you know you're like oh I don't have the staff for this so you have to like kind of scramble at the last minute so um, I mean I, w- I I hope for your sake that you you ever everything goes smoothly but um, have you had in that short period of of time of being open any situations where you were like oh we need to learn how to do this immediately I I would say anything that could have went wrong has went wrong right. <laughs> And that's that's just a, a, the nature of the beast. I, I didn't realize that how accurate that statement was. Somebody told me, you know, you prepare for the worst. You want to expect the best, but you always got to prepare for the worst. And, you know, starting up, we did have some challenges, you know, inventory management uh, issues. We had, uh, you know, some uh, appliances go bad. We had to refurbish the location. There were a lot of challenges early on. And, you know, we still suffer challenges sometimes when it comes to like, you know, staffing and then, you know, just trying to figure out our, uh, you know, process. We understand the, you know, uh, first in, first out, you know, things like that. But making sure that, you know, you get people to have that experience. Sometimes you're hiring people that are new to the industry and I'm fairly new to the industry, but I understand some of the things that, you know, are involved. But, you know, consistency is the hardest thing to, 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 to you know, push, but that's what's going to either make you or break you, the ability to be consistent. And that's consistent quality food, consistent people coming to perform and just, you know, consistently, you know, working and getting better. Well, you know, you learn the lessons the correct way. You know, the only way to those lessons to really sink in is to make those mistakes and learn from them and move on. And then, you know, over time, things start to go wrong, but you jump on it sooner, you see it sooner, you hear it sooner, and you're able to adapt. And that's what really makes a restaurant really strong. You know, starting a restaurant, people don't realize the amount of time and effort. And I tell people all the time, you know, when you're going in, if you want to start a restaurant, you need to have a minimum of one year to almost 18 months of capital just to keep your thing running. You know, people say, oh, I'm going I'm to go in. I'm going to buy all this product. I'm going to make money. And the next month, I'll be up and running. And I'm like, uh, it doesn't really work that way. You know, that's not how the restaurant industry, you know, works you know you're not going to do it all in the first month and if you do you get very lucky but uh it sounds like you have a lot of good background behind you and although you made mistakes and went through things you know you had a good solid knowledge base of the finances and business that were required and you know really that business degree that you talked about is 
so crucial. Great food is essential. Great management is what keeps your doors open, right? Yep. I, I think I had a strong pillow because uh, it, it definitely absorbed a lot of the sweat and tears. <laughs> but uh, I, I would say it's you know it's sweat equity equity that went into a lot of the the earlier stages things. Um, for instance, like you said, you you made a valid point going into it. I'm like, hey, you know, we got this idea, you know, we're going to get funded. We're, you know, we, we're going to get it up and running. We'll be open in two months flat. We, we, we were anticipating opening end of February, early March. We didn't open until the last week of July. So that just literally goes to show you how much effort and energy and things that we didn't account for that had to take place. So in, in that process, there was a lot of learning. There was a lot of heartburn. There was a lot of, you know, stress um, ultimately. But, you know, you you learn how to just, you know, buckle down, you know, dig your feet, your heels into the ground and, and just stand firm. Because, I mean, you can't rush the process like it just it's, it's going to be what it's going to be. You can't worry about the things that you can't control. Right. And then you just got to understand that, you know, the, 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 the old adage is this too shall pass. So even when you're at the lowest, you know, you got to just look at it like, you know, if you're optimistic, only way to go is up and that's the, the kind of mindset that you know somebody that that is resilient has to have because you need to be resilient if you want to win in this industry and you know what people don't you know realize like yes you are in a wonderful location you know you are prime time center city office space business and what that comes with is prime time center city office space bills and you know accomplishing all that and doing all that and you know Sadly, just because, you know, you happen to be in that area doesn't mean people want to pay more for things. They still need to have that value and that quality and, and you know, that sense of value. So, you know, you you really have to adapt it and, and uh, you know, apply what you know so well to that. And it sounds like you're doing that very successfully. Yeah, we so, so we've been learning. Like, I, I would just say, you know, we don't have it all. I'll figure it out. We do not because we're still learning. There's still some areas that we can improve. And then there's there's opportunity for growth. Like we're still not dominating the food court like we anticipated, but we're getting more exposure. People get more familiar with our food, our product, our services. They like our customer service, um, you know, but there's a lot of areas where, I, you know, I've pinpointed once we're, you know, in position to, you know, make certain things happen. Uh, we, we can improve in a certain, you know, a few areas. And I think that's what will get us to that next level. Like, for instance, you know, I gave us as a team, I said 90 days, right? So the 90 day challenge is what I called it. <laughs> and the f- first 90 days will tell us everything we need to know in the business. And it, it was pretty much spot on. The first 30 days. So you think about it. First two weeks, we're new. We're the new kid on the block. So the anticipation is high. Every exposure is high. We get very popular Right. Everybody loves it, right? Then you start realizing where the deficiencies are. Hey, this is maybe a little price too high. Hey, we're paying too much for this. Hey, we're spending too much money doing this. Hey, maybe we can do better on inventory management. Boom, we get three weeks, four weeks. We lose a freezer, right? Boom, that's just unexpected. <laughs> and with that, you know, comes spoilage. We lost, you know, a, a nice amount of uh, of our inventory because we, we, we didn't do just in time. We were kind of like trying to store up in advance. So you learn to like, you know, hey, maybe we don't need to carry that much inventory. Maybe we scale down a little bit and just, you know, kind of do it as, you know, as we're going because we don't need to have that much inventory. If we're not selling at that level yet. Um, but, you know, as we, we we went through the process, we made adjustments. Okay, now our prices are too low. If our sales were at this level or our profits, we lowered our sales. So we might be doing slightly more sales, but now our margins, our profit margins are lower. So you got to find that sweet spot. So the second you know month showed us that, and then the third month is just you know making subtle adjustments, tweaking things, <clears throat> you know doing some R and D, figuring out what might sell. Like initially we were doing 
only cheesesteaks and gourmet fries. But eventually, um, we started that. I mean, we did chicken too. We did wings and tenders. But now, you know, in that you know second month, we we started rolling out burgers. And actually, the smash burgers have been one of our best sellers. And we also sell fish, so we're doing like fish sandwiches and fish hoagies, and like those two items right there has literally like you know not even expected you know came up and you know compete with our cheese sticks. Our cheese sticks are really good, but I would say, you know, our fish sandwiches and, and burgers are just as good. And they sell sometimes even more than our cheesesteaks. I'm glad that you kind of moved into like what you actually are offering on the menu because in the last four minutes or so that we have with you, I really wanted to delve into like some of the menu items. Perfect. So the way that I would explain it, we're like a fast, casual, eccentric French fry, non-traditional French fry experience because we do, you know, the staple of Philly, but I feel like our cheesesteaks are better than a lot of the competition. We use, you know, USDA prime Angus beef. We use Lissio rolls. We use, uh, you know, we have white and sesame seed, but we also do uh, Cooper sharp cheese, but we have another cheese blend that we mix and infuse it and it makes our steaks that much better. We also have our own little proprietary, you know, thing we do with the steaks. I can't give you too much sauce, but <laughs> <laughs> we do uh, wings, we do tenders, fish sandwiches, and our signature is loaded. Our, uh, basically, we call them banging fries. So it's a protein or two on top of fries, you know, with various toppings. So we do like onions, peppers, mushrooms, roasted peppers, sweet peppers, jalapenos, pepperoncinis, whatever you want on it, we can basically make it. We got bacon, uh, beef bacon, turkey bacon. It's a lot of things that we do offer. We shrimp, crab meat. Ooh. One of our best sellers is the Maryland uh, Chesapeake fries. So they're uh, crab and shrimp fries with our homemade banging sauce. So we make about 80% of our sauces from scratch. Our most popular ones are right now... Um, we do peach hot honey made with fresh peaches, mango habanero with fresh mangoes and habaneros. We do garlic parmesan with fresh parmesan and garlic. Um, and uh, our banging sauce. Our banging sauce is our signature sauce, but everybody loves that sauce so much that like they put it on everything. Like it, it's it's kind of like a mayo base, but it's not. It's more like a remoulade, and it and it actually pairs well with a lot of our our products. But we tried to with the fries. We tried to make it synonymous with like the city. So, you know, our eagle fries, you know, those are like one of our, our, our bestseller fries is actually cheesesteak and shrimp over fries with like peppers and onions. And you can add mushrooms or whatever you like on it. Um, we have a, a union fry like the union, um, which is uh, our garlic parmesan chicken and shrimp over fries with truffle oil. Right. And then we have uh, mango habanero shrimp, our pops bang bang shrimp. And another one that people really, really love. Uh, they always get the jerk chicken fries. That's probably our bestseller on fries. <laughs> We make the jerk sauce from scratch. And uh, even with our chicken cheesesteaks, we use fresh chicken. So we're using fresh chicken breasts. We went away. Initially, we started with frozen, right? And then we were just like, you know, we want to do something that distinguishes us. So our brand is more leaning towards quality over margins and profit. Because it's like, I don't, you know, I can sell cheaper meat. And because of the location, you know, we can make it affordable and we'll probably have more sales and higher margins. But we want our brand to be kind of synonymous with quality. So when you think about us, you get a quality experience. Like you're getting 10 ounces of, of a ribeye steak, Angus beef. If you went to a restaurant, how much would a 10 ounce steak cost you? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you're, our garlic Parmesan sauce is made from scratch. We use fresh Parmesan and we use, you know, some other ingredients. But it's so good that like when we're making it, I have, you know, workers back there saying, oh, man, this will pair good with some pasta. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, when we get to the level of scaling, who knows? We'll maybe bottle our sauces and sell them. But they're, they're really... Um, you know, one of the steeple things that that, that kind of makes our business good. Want to add one thing too? <clears throat> we we partner with a local baker, so we have two desserts. 
But these they dessert sell so fast, we don't have them for long. There are sweet potato cinnamon rolls made from scratch and apple cinnamon blondies with maple cream cheese frosting. People love them. They go crazy over them. We can't keep them long enough. They sell out very fast. Well, I am definitely going to be one of those people in line trying to to get some of those desserts and the, the mango habanero shrimp. So <laughs> um, if you want to find, uh, if you want to find banging, <clears throat> bang, sorry, I'm tripping over myself. But if you want to find banging grub, uh, w- online or in person, what is your website? Uh, so right now, our, our website is still development. It has some items that needs to change, but you can have a brief look at our menu um, at www.bangingrub.com. Uh, we're also up on Uber Eats and we're also up on Grubhub. So if you want to order, you can definitely call ahead. I think we have Seamless too, so you can call in advance. And if you go to our Instagram, it's at real, R-E-A-L, banging, B-A-N-G-I-N, Grub. On there, we do a lot of posting of our food. We have our, uh, you know, one of our links to, to order online and our telephone numbers on there. So we take orders, you know, by the phone. If you want to call and pick it up, it'll save you some time and uh, service will still be as great. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show, Mardell. And um, I look forward to trying one of your delicious items. We look forward to to serving you. And, uh, you know, I always tell everybody, welcome to Bang & Grub, where everything is made with love. And that's the truth. All right. And we will be right back after this short break. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs Radio Show, where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-host Gene Blum and Amaris Pollock with original episodes that debut every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2 and at WWDBAM.com and on your smart speaker. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I am very happy to introduce all of you to Samuel Kennedy, who's one of the co-founders of Culinary Harvest and Berwyn Farmer's Market. Samuel, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's uh, Honestly, it's an honor to have you. I know you and your partner both graduated from the Culinary Institute of America, so your uh, pedigree starts out just already from the get-go with, uh, with something amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but um, so for our listeners, what got you, like, what was your inspiration to go into the culinary industry? So uh, me specifically, uh, my inspiration was honestly the Galloping Gourmet. So, um, you know, growing up as an 80s kid, uh, you know, we didn't have that many TV channels. And PBS just happened to be on and the Galloping Gourmet just happened to be next to Sesame Street. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of my first uh, experience with wanting to become a chef. And then, um, honestly, the moment I saw the Culinary Institute of America's campus uh, when touring colleges, uh, I just fell in love. And so I just kind of, you know, I applied to two other schools, uh, both culinary schools that were around, you know, at that early aughts kind of time period. Um, But Culinary Institute of America, once I got in, there was definitely no other choice for me. Well, I th- I have to say that yourself and Jean have a history, both because I believe you also really? teach there now, right? No, no, I don't teach for that's uh, so that's my hundred thousand dollar email address. Oh, so yeah, that's the 
the permanent email address that you get when you graduate from the Culinary Institute of America. So I've uh, kind of taken it upon myself to use it at all times. Okay. Well, I mean, that works. Uh, it's just, I mean, in, in, it definitely gives you a little bit of a, a heads up because I was like, oh, I think he actually teaches there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, through researching you, uh, I think I also saw that you're a cheesemaker. Yes. Yes. I've been making cheese in the Chester County, mid-Atlantic region for about 15 years now, actually. Oh wow! Now I can I can tell you first for for from my firsthand perspective that Gene and um, some co some of his uh, friends get together and buy a bunch of cheese. So uh, maybe maybe that'll be a fun a fun ad for Gene. Yeah, yeah. Nah, you know, honestly, he's probably had some of uh, cheeses that I've either created or had a hand in creating. So well, I think what Amaris is referring to is uh, every year. And we're getting ready to uh, surely we do a very large wholesale cheese buy where we kind of do it like the stock market. You buy a share or you buy a full share, you buy a half a share. And then, you know, for that amount of money, we get a, a one day kind of deal with uh, one of the big cheese people in the city of Philadelphia where um, he gives us wholesale pricing and we buy it and then we process it all and uh, have a wonderful you know, everybody gets X amount of cheeses and, you know, you probably get, uh, this year it's 150, you probably get about $325 worth of cheeses for about $150. So, I love it. Yeah. I love it. This needs to become a trend. I mean, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> write plans for this and put it on the, the on Instagram and, you know? Or, or you know, I, I maybe maybe the next thing is to do a a summer one where we go out to Berwyn Farmers Market and start to get some cheeses from the Chester County producers because there are so many out there that are producing such great cheese. The one thing, if I could make one wish come true in this region, it would be for people to understand and recognize the amazing amount of talented cheesemakers that exist from like Hunterton in Jersey down to Chester County and how many, you know, great cheeses are being produced locally that people are just not even understanding or taking the time to experience. I fully agree. Now, pulling off of that, because obviously you're going to bring some of yourself, your own cheeses into the farmer's market. Um, what because we we did bring you on to talk about the Berwyn Farmers Market and for you to talk about culinary ha uh, harvest. So, what are they, and you know, what can people expect when they visit you? Yeah. So, um, you know, culinary harvest was uh, originally created with the philosophy of being the cheerleaders for uh, you know locally made products, uh, artisanally made products, and then locally farmed ingredients. Uh, it started during COVID uh, when, you know, Carlo's, you know, uh, big pizza business down at the Mann Center and at the, uh, I guess that was the BB&T Center at that moment in time, um, went, you know, kind of went stagnant because of COVID. And we weren't sure, you know, what group entertainment was going to look like anymore. Uh, on my end, you know, cheese sales went stagnant. Mm. Uh, you know, we relied on and prided ourselves on working with small businesses and small restaurants and, you know, mom and pop cheese shops 
to uh, sell all our products. And so once everything kind of shut down, you know, there was kind of a this culinary mindset that set in and we're trying to predict what the future was going to be. Um, and culinary harvest was kind of was created to kind of help guide that future um, to kind of put some eyes on what this area has uh, as far as locally made goods are are considered. Um, and so we started online with a curbside pickup system. And then once everything kind of opened up uh, after, you know, COVID was uh, gone, um, we decided to morph that into a management company. And so we've become a management company and we've, uh, you know, really pride ourselves on tasting everything that we bring into the farmer's market, um, as well as, you know, loving the products, wanting our children to eat those products, wanting our children to be, you know, to thrive on those products um, in this new environment. And so that's kind of what you should be expecting. Uh, you should be expecting to get everything you would need uh, during your farmer's market trip uh, for your week's worth of groceries, uh, you know, and then just have to kind of make a few stops here and there for those essentials, uh, toilet paper, paper towels, uh, stuff like that. But it's really kind of the goal is to just bring great local food to that mainline area, uh, which we thought was kind of lacking during those COVID years and then after. Yeah. And I know that um, because you actually have had or have even just this week upcoming, you you have some of the amazing um, local vendors that are, you know, offering just organic and fresh and just nutrient rich um foods at the at the market um and you know we've had some of them on like spotted horse provisions is one of them yeah and fishtown pickle project like they're i love nikki i love i love both of their you know their different businesses and i saw that you have a local apiary there too so um along with the fact that you're you know creating this place for the main line to go to to pick up what they need on a weekly basis you're also kind of educating the the in the you know communities as to what is out there and available yes yes and that's you know that kind of falls on that cheerleader side of it um one of the reasons why I got into the local food system uh, back in the first recession back in 2008 of my lifetime, you know, I was to become the best buyer for a restaurant. I knew farm to table was coming around. Um, I knew that it was going to be a next big hit kind of niche market uh, for U.S. restaurants and the, the U.S. market. Yeah. Um, and so with that, you know, I got into cheese making at that point in time. And so it's just kind of it's just been a great experience. And I've loved the relationships I've built. Uh, it's like a family. You know, um, me and my wife actually moved up to Martha's Vineyard for a year and we moved back just because we missed that local market mentality, that farm family that we had worked so hard to kind of find during our 20s. Having a family and incorporating, um, like growing that family just from the connections that you make is, is, you know, is an important aspect of what you're doing. So it is very much so. Yeah. 
Um, so two of the things that you, you know, obviously have a lot of with the apiary there and, and your place and that, you know, wonderful combination of honey and cheese. Tell, tell me and our listeners a little bit about your cheese making style. What, you know, what really motivated you to get started in that? Because it's not like I wake up one day and ah, I'm going to start making cheese today. And, uh, you know, where that whole transition to where it is right now today. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I originally started, you know, cheese making was kind of uh, in its infancy in the U.S. You know, you, on the artisan side, you probably, you know, maybe had 30 producers, 35, 40 producers at that time that were small um, producers like we are here at Birch Run Hills Farm. And so, uh, you know, it was, I had um, did a like a one month trip out to California with the Culinary Institute of America it was part of my bachelor's degree uh, section of my education. And so at that point in time, I did a stage with a gentleman called Ig Vela and Vela Cheese. Um, Vela Cheese is a iconic cheese brand um, in the U.S., uh, in California, especially. Um, and then, you know, some of his products still live on today, even though, unfortunately, he is not with us anymore. Uh, you know, and that kind of created a lot of the passion that drove it. Um, you know, I've always been into the artisan side of culinary arts, you know, uh, doing fermented meats and charcuterie and whole muscle fermentations, uh, lactic fermentations with vegetables. Um, and then even, you know, just the side of beer and wine and alcohol, which are all fermentations as well. So, you know, it was a kind of a natural extension of all that work that I had been doing in my past histories. And then, uh, you know, like I was saying in 2008, just happened to lose my job. I was working for, uh, you know, corporate America and the chef's world, um, very large organization. And so when that happened, I decided, you know what, I'm going to become the best buyer for a small restaurant I can be. And that in turn brought me to farmer's markets. And so I started selling food, you know, selling cheese at farmer's markets. And I just wanted to know who was growing what, who was making what. Um, and how can I incorporate that into my world? And I just stumbled into cheese and I just happened to be really, really good at making it, honestly. Um, and, you know, I've had a lot of success with cheese making. Uh, it's brought me around the world. It's, you know, I've won local recognition, national recognition, international recognition with some of the cheese brands that I've managed and helped develop. Um, and it's grown into this beautiful passion that uh, I really don't see myself doing anything else in my professional life uh, other than truly, you know, being a cheerleader of local products and making cheese. Well, so for our listeners, because not everyone knows the Bertrand Mill and, and what you do, but, you know, one of the things that you do is one of the, the just great value, great price, but one of the most delicious blue cheeses I've ever had. I, I adore it when I can find it. I get it. Um, you know, but talk a little bit about the diversity because you don't, you're not just a, a blue cheese maker. You have a, a great cheddar as well. Uh, you know, you add a little uh, touch to that with the habanero, but uh, talk to our listeners a little bit about what cheeses you do produce. 
Of course, yeah. So, um, you know, at Bertrand Hills Farm, you know, that's uh, owned by the Miller family. So it's a family dairy farm. Uh, they're first generation. So, you know, their first year on the land and then they have their two sons, uh, both graduates of Cornell University uh, that are going to be the next generation that farm this land here. Uh, but Sue Miller created that Bertrand Blue um, back when she first started making cheese in the mid 2000s. Uh, and, you know, I'm just the steward of that cheese uh, at the moment. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, I just help kind of open up the the other opportunities that are, are available with other cheese styles, like the new Valence style that we're producing, you know, a little lactic style cow's milk cheese that's made into a pyramid with an ash covered rind. Uh, you know, my specialties are washed curd cheeses. So your Goudas, um, that's kind of what I was known for before I arrived here at Bertrand Hills Farm when I was at the farm at Doe Run uh, with St. Malachi and Seven Sisters. Uh, and then, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting business model on the East Coast as far as cheesemakers are concerned. Uh, you know, in the Midwest and especially Wisconsin, you know, a cheesemaker doesn't usually produce outside of a family of cheeses per se. So, uh, you know, all your equipment becomes specialized when you start talking about scalability. But on the East Coast and where, you know, all those Midwest cheesemakers dream of having the East Coast market. Um, we're just lucky enough to be here uh, and, you know, boots on the ground with those markets. And so, you know, the East Coast demands variety, especially in the farmer's market environment. Uh, they want the cheesemaker to have a, a, a range of cheeses, um, you know, everything from mozzarella to fromage blancs to cheddars to blue cheeses to little washed rinds to fresh fermented milks to, you know, and so um, you kind of got to narrow that view in just to kind of hit the economies of scale when it comes to cheese. But uh, but here at Birch Run, you know, our goal is to is produce really high quality cheese uh, using minimal inputs. Uh, you know, from happy, happy animals made from happy, happy cheesemakers uh, and sold to, you know, this beautiful market that is the Philadelphia region. And I mean, oh, oh sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and you do that very successfully. Amorous, take it away. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I'm a lover of cheese. I mean, if, <laughs> if if there's a number one thing that it, when I go out and buy something, it's got to be cheese or, or something that's dairy related. That is 100% my love. So uh, that's, It's my love, too. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we'll... If we all just keep promoting it, then we'll all be, uh, you know, much happier individuals because... You know, cheese does equal happiness. It really does. It really does. Now, in the last minute that we have left, uh, since you have so much, you know, under under your wing, let our listeners know where they can find you, where they can find uh, the cheese, where they can find Berwyn Fa Farmers Market, where, you know, where they can find Culinary Harvest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, first and foremost, the Berwyn Farmers Markets in the yeah. Handel parking lot along Route 30 in the main line of uh, Philadelphia. So we're about you know four. 40 minutes, 45 minutes outside of Philadelphia, uh, but right there on Route 30 on Sundays from 10 to 1 uh, is when the farmer's market runs. 
Um, I believe we have one more market for the winter, you know, for December, and then we'll regroup and release our January, February market schedules here in the next couple of days. And then uh, we also have our stand at the Yuletide event, which is at the Devon Horse Show Complex. Uh, so you can always catch, you know, Carlo or I um, at that event right now. Uh, that's now Monday or Wednesday. I think it's running every day, Wednesday up to Christmas now. Uh, so, you know, definitely come, come see us out out there and kind of, you know, you can taste some cheeses. We have raclette going with uh, the fat cat made from Birch Run Hills Farm here. Uh, we have little charcuterie boards, but then we also have a nice selection of some vendors that are from the Berwyn Farmer's Market. So uh, you can put a gift basket together. You can, you know, just bring your favorite product home or even uh, find a nice little treat for your four-legged friend in the house. Uh, and then, you know, for Birch Run Hill cheese, you know, we deal with small, small mom and pop shops. We deal with you know, local restaurants, um, a few distributors, but, uh, but yeah, definitely if, you know, if you don't see us in your cheese case, then you can just ask. That's always the easiest way to get us into a cheese case is, you know, when the cheesemonger knows there's a market and there's somebody willing to purchase, then they'll be calling us no problem. Um, so if you don't have it there, just ask. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) And we will be back every single week with a new episode and great guests. So tune in every single week to Food Farms and Chefs. Have a great day. You too. To listen to the rest of Food Farms and Chefs, tune your HD radio to 97.5 WPEN HD2 or stream live from WWDBAM.com.